Will there be any jobs in the future? We keep hearing about AI, robots, automation, many other things like that. And sometimes we wonder, will there be any jobs, especially in manufacturing in the future? And will we ever live in places other than the earth in our solar system or even beyond? Welcome to Future 39 with John Kutsir. Today, we're talking about the future of work and life in the solar system with Kate Levchuk. So let me bring her in right now. Hello, Kate. Hello, John. Great to hear you. Excellent. Our guest today, Kate, is an exec at Infosys. She's a futurist. She's a consultant. She's an author, a researcher, and has a master's degree in two disciplines. Kate, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. So let's start here. <clears throat> 30 years ago, Harvard Business School prof Shoshana Zuboff said that everything that can be automated will be automated. Do you agree with that? That's a very strong statement. And at the same time, I think it's a very pragmatic one. So obviously, we need to look at the cost benefit factor here. And if the jobs will be cheaper off, being automated, especially in the shorter run, because many executives and politicians, everyone tends to look at things short term. So if ROI is good in up to five years, I think these jobs will be automated for sure. However, it's interesting, we would expect to have so much automation already now in fields like driving or even manufacturing, you were mentioning, like Amazon. But I think it's only about 15 to 20% of this packaging things that are automated in Amazon. So it really shows us how much cheaper the people's labor is still. So it's, I think, definitely in a very short time, machines, you know, Moore's law will get uh, to the situation when machines will be really cheap and then especially in developed countries, it will make so much more sense than having people do the work. Let's talk about that timeline a little bit. So if we look at the scope of history, we see a time in the past, the Iron Age, Bronze Age, even before Stone Age, nothing was automated, right? Everything that you wanted to do, a human had to actually physically do. And and the, the, the only machines that they may have had was something like a bow and arrow or a spear a spear or maybe a, a lever, you know, which can only be labeled a machine with a very liberal definition there. But if we look into the far future as well, we see a future that's completely or, or, or mostly automated. And we have manufacturing processes with robotics and automation. Where would you place us right now on that kind of scale? Yeah, that I, I'm already picturing some some timeline and I don't really see us coming to the end of the automation timeline. Uh, I think we are now probably like in all the history you mentioned, we are very close to the end, but in terms of our lifetime, we are still pretty far. So I think the full automation, which means like probably 70, 80% of jobs, of current roles that exist in the market, I think they will be automated in developed countries in the next 15, 20 years, taken the advances in technology and especially robotics. However, I do expect that because of that, not despite, 
there will be so many more roles being created, like, for example, those that will have to actually program all the robotics and the ones that would have to deal with people, with huge numbers of people who find themselves outside of job market. So something like uh, mood programmers, psychologists, hobby creators, you know, this VR games creators. So all the fun creative professions that will have to deal with those people will also be newly created. And uh, yeah, I think that we are coming to a very interesting point in history where we will see jobs that we talk about only in sci-fi novels today. Can you give some examples of those? Well, first of all, I think there will be a huge need for various kinds of engineering uh, jobs, like especially civil engineering. So some people that would be creating dumps, that would be creating the floating um, constructions because of the climate change and the rise in seawaters. So that would be a whole new uh, industry. I envision some manufacturing jobs being created in air purification sector, for example. There can be even the huge walls around specific uh, place, like let's say whoever has a lot of money, let's say Apple, uh, Apple City, and, <laughs> and <laughs> they they have trillions, so they might as well create uh, the um, air purification walls around the city and there will be definitely a company that will be creating these walls because they already have the expertise in let's say air purification ac and uh, discovering new materials i think the whole new industry will be coming from uh, finding out new materials on the earth as well as bringing new ones from space so let's say mi mining uh, meteors and this kind of things We'll need to uh, create new habitats because the population will be changing drastically. There will be way more poor people. So we'll need to create some sustainable and possible living environments for them, like moving away from favelas, for example. Mm -hmm. And people would also want to live in some healthy clear and clean areas so we would be seeing uh, the creation of something more like elysiums maybe in space or some places on earth so new zealand is a very popular natural elysium area and yeah i would say tons of this similar jobs like 3d printing creating this floating structures on water maybe from trash because we have tons of that the new resource Trash, uh, yeah, I think trash could be used quite wisely if there is a good segregation uh, possibility, as well as maybe possibly 3D printing will be become will become so cheap to mm -hmm. actually create something from all this plastic that we have on Earth anyways. That's interesting, actually. I mean, let's talk about that. Uh, let's say that we have a future where manufacturing is mostly or or completely automated 3d printing is 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 widespread and and 
inexpensive for multiple forms of materials, not just plastics, but also metals. We see that right now, SpaceX, 3D prints, uh, rocket nozzles, for instance, right? You can't get a part that needs more strength and tensile durability and all those other things than, than, than rocket nozzles. But we get to a future where that is cheap and readily available. What's that do to economies? What's that do to international trade? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I think that, so again, let's go back to short-term versus long-term thinking. And I think countries and leaders that really have the long-term thinking for this or other reason, then can see into the future in 20 or 30 years. And that's why some uh, companies or leaders are actually spending tons of money for futuristic consultancy, having the focus groups and understanding what would be the need taking various different factors in 20, 30 years. Those countries will come up with the solutions and start preparing for them right now when most of us are talking about the new apps on the iPhone. <laughs> And they will take the leadership. So, of course, I can really see uh, China as one of these contenders for the leadership in manufacturing, not only because they have so, so many resources, but also they have um, a good experience doing that. And uh, I think they have the, the largest gold reserves. They don't rely on anyone else to do this, this type of trial and fail. And I'm pretty sure that there are so many initiatives that we don't even know are happening. Like even a few years ago, there was a discussion that they're building huge cities somewhere in, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, why are they building that? No one knows. They're still empty. So lots of things are happening there and they have huge capabilities for that. So hopefully West will not be too far away. China is also uh, one of um, on the forefront in investing in robotics as well, and having factories that are heavily uh, roboticized. We see some other economies like that. Germany has a high percentage of robots per uh, thousand workers, that sort of thing. Few other economies like that as well. I imagine that as we see economies having a higher and higher percentage of robots to workers, we're going to need to see some some changes in how we tax labor, perhaps. Bill Gates has talked about taxing robots for work that they do. You talked about people in the future as, as the, perhaps there are fewer jobs, at least in manufacturing and new different types of jobs that come out. And you talked about a future, there are more poor people. That's obviously not the Star Trek future that we've kind of been hoping for, looking for this future where more people are happy. We don't really work for a salary. There's sort of a credit system, but we kind of graduate and find the niche that, that, that fits what we do. And we really, really enjoy it. I mean, I still hope Obviously, that's that's perhaps utopian. I still hope that in a future where most manufacturing jobs are at least the physical manufacturing is automated, there's still an opportunity for people to have creative jobs. There's still an opportunity for people to have service jobs. There's still an opportunity for people to do something and contribute something, whether that's artistically or or otherwise, right? And 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 not have to and have us have a society set up in such a way that you know what you don't have to work those forty hours a week you don't have to work those fifty hours a week maybe you don't even have to work those twenty hours a week maybe ten hours a week is enough and you've actually then 
um, generated some 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 revenue and 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 are able to sustain yourself and your family, but that the cost of living goes down. We we looked at that for so many so many generations, right? I mean, things people used to work from the the moment the the sun rose to the to, to when it, the sun set, right? The 18th century automation and and factories in in the UK. And I'm hoping that we get to a point where our labor matters and our labor isn't just what we can do with our hands, but it's what we can do with our minds and our emotions. Yeah, that's very true, John. And actually, talking about what you mentioned as people used to work so much more and now it's actually better. I do agree that it's better in terms of workers' unions that were created, the elimination of child labor and all this slavery. But actually, if we look very much back in history, we can notice that during hunter-gatherers period, people worked much less. And it just all depends on the quality and level of life you want. So the reason why I'm saying there can be more poor people as well as more rich people, as we see in inequality charts increasing now, is simply because if we continue with business as usual, there will be much more people on the planet. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we will have more resources. So obviously we will have we will need to provide for people who lost their their jobs to manufacturing and robotics. So that will I think some some kind of social welfare system like UBI will be easily will be able to do but i envision a tons of uh, new possibilities for people who will be actually who will fall into this ubi category to start doing their own new thing like for example i could as well become a full-time sci-fi writer if i didn't have a full-time job so it's very much how you prioritize your time and what else you can do with this if you are given an opportunity. So, yeah, lots of people <laughs> to come. That makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about what I've uh, put here as the two massive mis missions of the 21st century, right? We have this reclamation project, which, which is our planet, and we have this opportunity that Elon Musk and some others are, are, are pointing towards of visiting and maybe even establishing a colony on another planet. Let's talk about the first one first, and, and that's reclaiming our planet, cleaning the ocean, finding ways to create enough food for enough people without stripping the ocean bare of all the fish that are in it, cleaning our air. You talked about air and you talked about companies and maybe cities having air cleansing walls of, of some sort, stations of some sort. That's something they could really use in India. I have a number of friends in India, in Delhi, for instance, and over the past months, they've had horrific air conditions, just horrible like do not get outside and even inside you are at risk of, of of early death with just a little bit of exposure here we, we saw that in sydney as well right with the wildfires that they had in australia where their air quality was just horrific absolutely horrific let's talk about some of the jobs that you see coming out and and the tasks that you see coming out mm -hmm. uh, for engineers to create for, for people to implement other things like that in restoring our environment? 
Yeah, thank John for mentioning this uh, question. I think it's a truly very important mission because apart from uh, some obvious examples like Beijing and New Delhi that you mentioned, we can really see the impact of uh, fires, natural or artificial. Like whole Singapore is suffocating because of fires in Philippines and Indonesia where where they put uh, the, the tropical forest on fire to get more space for what is this uh, farming and um, no 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 the the trees they they put in nutella the, this thing oh um uh, chocolate or uh, chocolate trees or perhaps even rubber oh uh, yeah rubber could be but yeah the, there is some special oil as well which is okay like the worst type then the same, of course, in California, sometimes it's even in Europe. We definitely talk very little about Europe, but I used to live in Kraku in Poland. It's a, it's a beautiful and uh, old city, very popular among tourists. But not everyone knows that it's one of the most heavily polluted cities in Europe and actually in the world. So I was checking sometimes the level of pollution when I was living there. Sometimes it was coming very close to Beijing and sometimes it was higher. The, our awareness of what is happening in our own backyard is unfortunately very low. And I think as it becomes higher with the increase in the different groups like Extinction Rebellion here in UK, of course, Greta Thunberg really contributed to this crucial tendency. We will see more and more people actually understanding the importance of preserving this very planet. And this is also what I'm advocating with the transhumanism and improvement of human species. Because in all fairness, there is absolutely no point living longer or even forever if you're going to uh, spend this life in a trash bin. And this is exactly what we are doing out of Earth today. So uh, it looks like capitalism as it is now, this with the short-term gains, is really is outliving itself. And we need to see the search of uh, professions that will take care of the earth to restore itself for new generations. For I think I'll be still fine more or less as a millennial, but um, like my children and my grandchildren will be absolutely screwed if we don't do something in the next five, 10 years to create a new ecosystem. So you, you were mentioning ocean cleaning. This is crucial. Any type of engineering constructions that will be efficient in that is uh, very important. Even species preservation, we're talking about our health, the pollution and stuff like this, but we forget about six mass extinction of species and critical loss of biodiversity with about thousand species going extinct in a week. So, so far we're not noticing it too much, but maybe in 10 years when we are left only with domestic chickens, we'll start wondering. <laughs> so, so it's very good to have people who are gathering genetic samples and who are recreating the species in in labs or artificial environments and this will be huge huge new profession of the future biologists marine biologists recreations of corals so much so much creativity can uh, be reestablished here like actually just recently i read uh, about some new technique 
of the uh, sound uh, that they're putting next to uh, bleached coral reefs. Yes. Special, I don't know, like a special tone that can lure fish back in and start the whole ecosystem growing from the start. So people just understood that uh, corals are dying. Even, even Great Barrier Reef is almost gone. And uh, I think people are not, you know, doomed. I think we actually have something good in us. The population of uh, rhinos and uh, blue whales is coming back to norm just because there were specific restrictions in fishing, in poaching. And the only thing we have to do is increasing awareness and uh, telling people that it's important because I don't think that naturally we are bad. We just like to close eyes to many things. And if we're not given this chance, we can really help the planet. I think that we do need to open people's eyes to it, but I do think that many people's eyes are open to it. I think that what's missing is an economic imperative. We do have a capitalist system in most of the planet, even parts that, that aren't nominally capitalist. And, and and the challenge with that and in a consumer society is that it is hard to assign value where there is no economic current value. Like what is the Great Barrier Reef, Reef worth? Obviously, from any rational perspective, it's incalculable. You can't calculate the worth, right? It, it's, 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 it's precious beyond imagining. But when we fail to actually assign value to these things, then it's hard for us to assign new jobs of creating, preserving biodiversity, other things like that, and assign social value to that, that it comes with economic value as well. So we can actually create economic incentives for companies, for individuals, for people to work at the things that we need to work at to restore this planet to what it can be. I think that that's something that we're, that people have tried to do with carbon credits, perhaps. And, and I think that we need to extend that concept even farther so that we see value in a startup that's trying to reduce the great garbage patch of the Pacific. And, and we assign uh, value to that. And, and then we also properly cost out, if you're Coca-Cola and you're the largest plastic polluter on the planet, <laughs> from, from what we've heard recently, we are not appropriately charging what it actually costs to produce and continue complete the life cycle of a plastic bottle what is it you, you get 10 cents back when you return it for for a deposit or something like that well should it be a dollar should it be two dollars what is the actual cost to not just produce but also to the environment of production and of recycling or other things sorry yeah. go ahead of disposing those those things those products and recycling yeah, that's exactly. very true. So I think part of how we can solve this issue is the societal pressure. And currently already people are very often choosing environmentally friendly solutions, services and products. So the problem with that is very often they're still more expensive than, than cheap ones like Coca-Cola. So probably you would still go with cheap option if you're not a millionaire. 
Yeah, and I think that's the problem, right, is that we can go with the cheap option because we don't appropriately cost out what something actually costs us environmentally through its entire life cycle. However, it looks like there are some companies uh, like Elon Musk is creating the um, rooftops that uh, the solar rooftops that actually cost pretty much the same. And if we think about this, solar power is so cheap if we understand how to properly get the right percentage of solar energy, because the sun in one hour gives more energy than we consume in a year. So why are we not using solar panels on every house if yes. it's so much cheaper? Yes. It's not even an economic issue. It's all about lobbying and about people who are making sure that we don't. Exactly. Let's turn our uh, attention then to the second major job that, that could create a lot of opportunity for jobs and for exploration, which is this colonizing the solar system. If we look down the line a little farther, obviously this is not today, but there are serious people with very serious technology who are very seriously looking at things like expanding where we can live to the moon, to Mars, beyond how, if you look at that, how does that change the picture for humanity and jobs and, and your vision of, of the kind of future that we'll have? Yeah, that's definitely a very futuristic question and a very exciting one, something that I was expecting for sure. To be fair, I think, again, it has a lot to do with um, economic benefit and the actual reason to go to space. So it's interesting to see how many discoveries and how many trips to, to space were happening when we had you know, some kind of older man politics competition going on during the Cold War. That's yes. like a really good incentive to do stuff. Mm -hmm. um, as of now, I think we are living in a more prosperous, market, relaxed uh, climate when you are going to do something if it actually just makes sense. And uh, thankfully, for the time being, Earth is still kind of livable. So I think we definitely should focus on preserving Earth and only some part of investments and uh, some, you know, some new initiatives should go to discovering new planets. However, that should always be our plan B because... Just, again, from a pragmatic point of view, living on one planet as a species is not sustainable in case something happens the same as uh, happened to our poor dinosaurs, distant relatives. Yes. That would be unfortunate. I mean, whatever. They, they... That would be unfortunate. Yes, it would. <laughs> Destruction of the human race. Slightly unfortunate. <laughs> the universe will definitely go on without us. There will be new species created. There will be new stuff happening. But as a humanist, and I do like our species quite a lot, I think we should at least uh, try to go to Mars. I think Moon is not very sustainable in terms of atmosphere creation. So definitely all the space barons, that's at the moment our best bet, because governments tend to be a bit stingy and conservative, as we see with uh, NASA lately. So yeah, Elon, maybe China. China seems to be quite out there. So I put a lot of hope on entrepreneurship and dreamers.
because in the end of the day, dreamers are the people who create the future. Very true. Very true. I'm excited about a project that is to send a micro, a micro spaceship or starship, I should say, to Alpha Centauri. It's, it's a package, only you know maybe a kilogram or something like that, that they hope to accelerate via laser and send out you know within the next decade or so at a fairly significant fraction of the speed of light, which means that we could, some artifact that a human being has created could be beyond our solar system and actually in not just in interstellar space as 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 we have a couple probes already doing that but actually visiting another star system that would be incredible and amazing i wanted to end this this session with you kate on some of your favorite science fiction every futurist that i know loves science fiction or or has been deeply influenced by science fiction i have as well i've written a science fiction novel and I wanted to ask what science fiction has, has influenced you and what's been most interesting to you? Um, so I, I tend to use science fiction as inspiration for mm -hmm. many thoughts to, to dream, to find um, another meaning in life because it really expands our horizons. And I was very lucky as a child when I was 11 or 12 my parents gave me some books, so I think they were very much into Ray Bradbury. So the first books that, kind of big books that I read were the compilations of essays by Ray Bradbury. It yes. was, of course, the classics of uh, 451 Fahrenheit, yes. um, Chronicles, and lots of other essays where he mainly looks at the subjects of uh, space conquering, as well as uh, upcoming robotization, as well as lots of things around VR and talking walls. So people like that, like Bradbury, Wells, uh, Stevenson, they're those that pretty much predicted the, the phones, all the VR ecosystems, and so many things that we haven't even created yet. Yes. Yes. Who are you reading lately? Uh, so those some of those those some of the great uh, old masters. Who are you reading lately? Oh, I've been pretty bad with my reading. I'm actually <laughs> I'm working on a book as well. This is like oh. off um, off sci-fi, a little bit more into philosophy of tech and society, mm -hmm. touching on the freedom of of uh, thought. Okay. But I tried reading Peterson. Yes. Who I had quite mixed feelings previously because of his various comments towards uh, women in the workplace. And I myself also had various experience in the workplace as well. But I do see a lot of good stuff and good reasons for checking out alternative points of view. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, Bradbury's not a bad place to start and there's a lot to move on from there. I look forward to seeing your book and seeing what that looks like when it comes out. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, John. And hello everyone to future 39. <laughs> Excellent. This will live on YouTube and it will the podcast will go out as well wherever podcasts go. If you are listening on the podcast, please give it a rating and a review, especially if you like it. Anyways, this is John Goodseer yeah. and Future 39. Thank you so much for spending some time with us.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Doesn't matter which galaxy you're in, give us a like. <laughs> Wonderful. Have a great day, Kate. Cheers. You too. Bye.